0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy.
1: Hey there, Murphy. I I was hoping to uh, start the show with music. I'm told by our ace engineer, Jeff Fox, that we would be treated badly if we stole music and used it on the show. So I wanted to start with Take Me Back to Tulsa, the great old
0: Bob Wills tunes and the Texas uh, Playboys.
1: Well, unfortunately the Democratic
0: trial lawyers lobby prevents it, but it's the perfect theme song <laughs> for this episode since it's been such a slow news week and we have nothing to talk about. But you want to start with Tulsa?
2: Yeah, that
1: seems like the one place that Trump doesn't want to get taken back to <laughs> is is Tulsa after what happened. And by the way, we have with us today our old buddy Robert Gibbs who's as as a as a son of Alabama, probably is familiar with uh, Bob Wills and the song "Take Me Back to Tulsa." Gibbs, good to see you.
3: Thank you, guys, for having me. I I was in Tulsa once, and I actually had a lovely experience. So I, I don't yeah I don't, I don't know why Trump, but you weren't doesn't like st- but
1: it. you weren't staring out at a sea of empty blue seats. I was not expecting nineteen thousand people. No, <laughs> no. So what about it, Murph? The, I, I know how much you hate being called Murph, but I'm— uh, Most I, Murphs I'm hate being short,
0: called Murph, short, but everybody cuts. does it so we're just kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know we just accept it. could be it. worse. It could be Smurf. Now, do but, you like Axe? Do you like being—your nickname being a medieval yeah, weapon I, you know, of murder? Yeah, know, I've been called that all my life, so—, so yeah, it's something like you kind of like—I gotcha. I don't mind it. All right, so, well, that yeah. roaring sound you hear is the sound of campaign manager Brad Parscale, redlining one of his many Ferraris heading to the Mexican border with a suitcase full of cash as fast as possible because you're going to see his head rolling down the White House steps. Uh, Vanity Fair already has a, I think, I would say unconfirmed you know, report that he has decided to resign. But the bigger thing is it, it was a true disaster. Uh, it was an expectations management disaster. But there was a tell behind that, I think. Um, even in the Ruby red, great state of Oklahoma uh, that, you know, uh, COVID sanity beat Trump ego need for a huge crowd, even even in a total red, red base area like that. So beyond the epic campaign bungling, which will go into the Titanic Museum of Campaign Bungles. Um, it it is a tell about the voters, I think, and and it's a vote for sanity. And finally, I think the the less than uh, moving poll numbers and all that it'll add to even it'll add even more dysfunction to the kind of Lord of the Flies culture within Trump land. So we could have campaign manager Corey Lewandowski. I mean, it's just going to the palace intrigue, which is already horrible, will trigger under the culture that Trump has created in his
1: world. You know, why you know, and this is like inside baseball that nobody cares about except insiders but we got a few insiders who listen uh why it won't be Corey Lewandowski is because the guy who is uh, calling the shots there is Jared and uh he he and Lewandowski uh are, don't see eye to eye and whoever Parscale may stay because of Jared or if he goes it's going to be because they pull in some people who Jared uh gives the uh the thumbs up to but that's Less material than the— than the lo- yeah, just Quickly, just— w- You're going back to inside y- baseball. You can't help yourself, can you?
0: Yeah, I can't. I, hey, I know who our, our listener is. This Vanity Fair thing, Gabe Sherman, deal is interesting, though, because it, it it there's some thought that Trump wants to punish Kushner through nipping Parscale, which is very Trump-Stalin. Not you know, good, hey, good. he's everybody's friend and enemy simultaneously, and you never know. I would agree that my guess is because of his, you know, daughter— jared will survive but there you know it'll it'll be interesting and it it, let me put it this way it won't be adult and their end of the inside baseball kremlin algae
1: so i won't shoot you so i'll shoot your guy right right exactly because i can't shoot you my you know daughter but getting back to the larger issue first of all the first rule of politics is under promise and over deliver they did the opposite which turned it into a disaster before it even began but Murphy's right. People were scared about coming, not right. by the news media, but the fact that Tulsa is being overrun by COVID and many states are are right now. And he, the president, it was like he's in his little bubble yeah. of denial.
3: Well, I think Murphy's right. It showed the limits really of Trumpism. And if you looked at the Fox poll that came out a few days before the rally, they asked a the question whether they thought, whether they asked voters if rallies, big rallies, were a good idea or a bad idea, good idea it was twenty three percent. This is uh, again, it shows you the limits of what what, and you see this even today around this idea around testing. Trump wants it all to go away and thinks if you don't see it, mm-hmm. then it doesn't exist, and yes. that clearly didn't persuade more than six thousand or so people. To come to Tulsa. And, you know, more than anything else, I, it isn't, I don't think it speaks as, it speaks some to enthusiasm and some to the limits of his rhetoric. It's remarkable how many aides on background talked about the fact that this rally was set up to help Trump's mind, to get his psyche back on track and to get him in a good mood. And it, it shows you that. They spent, you know, millions of dollars, not as much trying to reach voters as they were just trying to get their candidates head in the right place. The one well, thing that though, therapy therapy gone bad, you know,
0: pharmaceuticals are cheaper. Note to White House. <laughs> Go
3: ahead. It reminded me, Axe. Um, I don't know if you remember when we were going in 2008, we ended up with a very large crowd at a speech in Berlin. Yes. But. We we were flying into Berlin, and you and I were talking to then-candidate Obama, and he was asking us sort of how many people we expected and what kind of space we had. And we said we thought we could fill, you know, a pretty large space, you know, 20, 25. We were 25. in a park, the Tiergarten
1: yeah. in Berlin. Right.
3: You know, we could, you know, you could really fit 100,000 people or so there. And he looked at us like – and said, why did we think it was a good idea to get a venue that big? What if they don't show up? And uh, it, it, it just – when I was watching the crowd not fill in, I was reminded of this sort of cold sweat I broke into on that trip. We, I think we ended up with 250000 so it was okay. But as you said, under-promise and over-deliver.
1: Yeah, the old organizer's trick is you, you put out uh, less chairs than – you may need and then you bring more chairs in to give the sense that the crowd was larger than you anticipated right, right. they did the opposite right
0: a, a footnote for our geeky listeners check out the advanced man by Jerry Bruno B R U N O great book about old school yeah. advance and by the way Trump can do 2 million in North Korea anytime he wants so the foreign league the stats aren't quite the same but that that was impressive and the <laughs> the point is right you know you always rig that stuff and it just you know the whole fact that their campaign is hinged on keeping the mood of their crazy candidate happy by going to states they're going to win no matter what and putting on a rally show. It's just such a tell. But I want to get back to what both of you said about the stats. We have seen this from Trump from the beginning when that first cruise ship Uh, was off the West Coast, and he didn't want to disembark people because he didn't want it to count in the stats. It was an x-ray into the old scam real estate guy who wants to cook the numbers to get a fake valuation. You know, Spin the assessment. Oh, don't tell him about that. Tell the accountant to bend the pencil a little bit. And he's still doing it with a pandemic, trying to manipulate the numbers of this testing control. Yeah,
1: but here's the thing, Murphy. It's, it's one thing to do it, and we all know he's doing it. It's another thing to acknowledge that you're doing it. Let's listen to a little of that now famous sound.
2: You know, testing is a double-edged sword. We've tested now 25 million people. It's probably 20 million people more than anybody else. Germany's done a lot. Uh, South Korea's done a lot. They call me. They say, the job you're doing, here's the bad part. When you, test of, when you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people. You're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. They test and they test. We got tests. If people don't know what's going on. We got tests. We got another one over here. The young man's 10 years old. He's got the sniffles. He'll recover in about 15 minutes. That's a case. Add up to it. That's a okay. case. That's a case.
1: Yeah, Let's just point, the, the, the immediate response of the campaign in the White House was, well, he was just kidding. So this morning, he's on his way out to Phoenix for another closed arena rally with this one with young people. And he was asked, were you kidding? And this is what he had to say.
2: Were you just kidding or do you have a plan to slow down testing? I don't kid. Let me just tell you. Let me make it clear. We have got the greatest testing program anywhere in the world. We test better than anybody in the world. Our tests are the best in the world, and we have the most of them. By having more tests, we find more cases.
1: I mean, Yeah, what, what do you say? I mean, it's... Uh, if, you don't have the pre- if you don't take the pregnancy test, <laughs> then we won't have more babies. Yeah. I mean, it's just that simple. Well,
3: it's Sociopath 101. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. But the fact that the bank robber showed back up at the bank... To remind the bank yeah, exactly. that he'd stolen the money, uh, <laughs> as he dialed nine one one to alert the police, is um, is j- stunning. Well, especially
1: after his lawyer said he was just kidding and he didn't rob the bank. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean this this makes them look. I mean, there's a, there are a few subtexts here. One is the thing he said about young kids; they get the sniffles, it goes away, and so on. And basically a subtext to everything he's been saying throughout this COVID crisis is sayonara, old people. (laughs) We don't really, we're not too, you know, we can use a few less of you. Well, guess what? He he won voters over 65 in 2016. He's trailing among voters over 65 uh, right now. The second thing is that, you know, the two things that Trump was selling to people who were sort of on the bubble was, well, we don't like what he does, we don't like what he says, but he's strong, he's competent, he knows what he's doing. Uh, nothing about what happened in Tulsa or after, or frankly, anything he's done during this COVID-19 has spoken to competence, uh, nor does he look particularly strong. And so the bungling of this Tulsa rally, even though it's one moment, it does, It will pass, there'll be other million intervening events, but it just adds to the narrative mm-hmm. that the wheels have come off over there. Yeah, no, bungling
0: is kryptonite to the can-do business guy, art of the deal, Mr. Big. And, you know, the bungling narrative has taken over. It's always been there. But the COVID thing has made it a real thing in people's lives and including and increasingly red state lives as the disease starts to move out of the big urban blue areas. And so it's a double-edged sword. I totally agree with this. It's real kryptonite for and now the sociopath moment where, yeah, we pulled back on the testing, always uh, oh, kidding, I don't kid. He should remember, he always does the bad comedy when he's in front of him. He's like the estate of Alan King ought to sue. But then he's forgotten the first rule <laughs> of those guys, which is after, yeah, and there's two Slovaks walking to a pub with a rap after the horrible joke. I kid, I kid the COVID people. You know, you do try to make it a joke to <laughs> let the tension out. He's too dumb to do that. So, I, but I think you're right. This incompetence thing could be it. And older voters and suburban voters are the group, and they could be it in, in the obituary should he not be reelected.
1: The, uh, the other thing about his shtick uh, is that he didn't, he came back. This was the big relaunch, uh, and it was basically all old material. There was nothing new, no recognition that we were in the middle of of, of multiple crises. Uh, And instead, you know, it was uh, just uh, raw culture wars. And the Boeing plane for the 400th time all the old well, don't stuff. forget the
3: 15 minutes on the ramp
1: yes and and then and, and, and 17 minutes on the ramp <laughs> uh, but also but but when he got to the core of it when he got to the core of it it was flag burning it was yeah. the confederate monuments it was you know Looters. all the old it was guns it was uh it, it was all of that uh and uh and it seemed as if like he didn't have new material he's going back to the fundamental uh which is this it's base base and more base and i got to get them excited and i got to get them aggravated and i got to get them stirred up and if we just get them out uh we we could win and that's his theory of the race is it not? no
0: the whole thing is a republican primary in
3: his head. For all of the narrative around the deficiency in filling his seats, if you're Kushner or Trump or Parscale, w- what would keep me up at night is the deficiency of their message heading into a very different election. Um, they are playing the greatest hits of 2016 in a 2020 world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and n- nothing could be more disconsonant with what sure. voters want to hear and want to see from their president. Again, I'll go back to the Fox poll largely because I don't want to get sued by talking about a CNN poll. But <laughs> 81% of the people polled by Fox News said race was a concern. Uh that race relations were a concern. 31% of the people approve of Trump's handling of of these protests. Black Lives Matter is viewed favorably by 67% of the people in this poll. He's he's What he's trying to sell is only working to a smaller and smaller slice of the electorate while the vote he needs in suburban areas, the vote he needs in other places, he just simply isn't even talking to because of the way he's talking to his supporters, whether it's the testing line, whether it is uh, all of this stuff around heritage, whether it's thugs and hombres and... Uh, you know, terrible things about the origin of coronavirus. That to me I- is what really struck me about the rally. Is just his real—he's walling himself off from the vote he needs to win this yeah. race.
1: You say the be- you say the best hits of 2016. It really sounded like the the greatest hits of 1970. I mean, he's running the Nixon uh, reelect uh, strategy from 1970. He just needs Spiro Agnew uh, to amplify. His points, you know, in that same Fox poll, though, it, it isn't just that he's talking to a narrower group. The group is narrowing, yeah, a, That's uh, the key. Uh, narrowing, uh, you know. You look at uh, non-college in that same Fox poll, non-college educated white women. He's winning by eleven points, I believe. He he won them by twenty seven in two thousand and sixteen. Evangelical voters. Uh, he's winning 66-25, which is a handsome 40-point margin. Only he won them 81-16. And it leads to another problem he's got, which is Joe Biden. You know, Biden being an old white Irish Catholic uh, guy was not necessarily advantageous in the primary campaign to win the nomination. But there's a reason why Donald Trump bought an impeachment trying to stop Joe Biden and the reason is he's culturally inconvenient. He isn't scary enough for the people who tr- who uh, Trump needs to scare in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Let's listen to this st- I thought in the middle of this uh kind of rambling hour and a and 50 minute speech he gave a real uh insight into the problem he has with Biden and how they intend to deal with it. Let's let's listen to that.
2: If the Democrats gain power, then the rioters will be in charge and no one will be safe and no one will have control. Joe Biden is not the leader of his party. Joe Biden is a helpless puppet of the radical left. And he's not radical left. I don't think he knows what he is anymore, but he was never radical left, but he's controlled by the radical left, and now he's really controlled. His campaign staff even donated a lot of money to bail out rioters, looters, and arsonists who ravaged Minneapolis. They bailed them out. They put up a lot of money to bail them out, the rioters, the looters. And they were. They were the arsonists. Uh, They'll say, oh, it's terrible what he says about the people of our nation. Maybe some of them aren't even from our nation.
1: Biden isn't radical left. He's never been radical left, but he's addled and uh, weak and therefore will be used by the radical left. To me, that is the strategy, which is to say Biden is out of it and these guys are going to take advantage of it. And he's kind of a Trojan horse. But the underlying comment, which he ad-libbed that he's never been radical left, I think speaks to why he feared Biden from the, in the first yeah, place. Yeah, these speeches are always an
0: X-ray of Trump's head, which make them both fascinating and horrifying simultaneously. And you could tell he, he doesn't think Biden is one of those guys. But again, as you say, he's so addled, he's run by this secret conspiracy, though – to me, that is a memo to the Biden campaign. Trump has set up your candidate as old and loopy and out of it, so you better be sharp as attack when you reemerge. You better win the damn debate and take it seriously. And Joe is not always Mr. Candidate discipline and preparation. And two, careful what you signal with your VP. Don't give Trump more to work with, don't verify his assertion. And so it's good news for Biden, and they can slowly see what Trump is, you know, up to. I'd add one thing, too. What really struck me in the, watching this, and our friend John Heilman, I think, has made the, the same point a bunch, is that Trump's heart wasn't really in it. You know, I don't know if it's the bad polling and the half-empty hall and the horizon of blue seats ironically looking down on him or whatever it is, but, but he – and you see this now in stories coming in the White House. There, there's not so much fight in the old lizard right now. And maybe it'll come back or maybe maybe he's psychologically a little broken by all the vilification, the lousy polling, because we know he's obsessed with polls and the fact that he can't really in his head get a grip on Biden. Because, as you say, he sees that Biden connection to the voters he likes to whip up and he he doesn't have faith he can do it this time. It's not a Hillary. You know, he's not running against an easy target. And, and last thing is, he doesn't know how to be an incumbent. He only knows how to be a challenger and run against somebody. And he, he doesn't have the grip on Biden that he feels confident in.
1: One of the interesting subtexts to this whole thing is he's standing up there and his, the government he leads that's trying to respond to this COVID-19 crisis is advising people how to behave to try and hold down the risk. And he is standing there leading the resistance to his own government. Uh, and it is really, the tension is, is, is really obvious.
3: Well, one, I don't think it can be nearly as fun as it was in 2016, because as Murphy said, he owns all of this, right? He owns the coronavirus response. He owns where we are economically. He owns his response to the George Floyd murder. But let's take Hillary again, again, four years ago in a Fox poll, Hillary's fave unfave was 42 favorable, 56 unfavorable, right? A negative net 14. In this Fox poll, Joe Biden, 53 favorable, 44 unfavorable, an, a, a plus nine favorability. And even if that becomes a, a wash with Biden, he's still, again, so not this type of candidate for the moment, me- meaning Trump, because he's running against somebody who's not as 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 unpopular as he is, and and it's a significant challenge for him. He's going to have to figure that out.
1: Yes, he's trying to ask that, figure out how to take uh, Biden down. You know, one thing you said, Murphy, about Biden and the debates. Uh, it strikes me that you know Trump is kind of undermining his own cause here. He wants to set up the idea that Biden is uh, a fumbling, bumbling, old, uh, senile man. Um, the, and, and at the same time, he is completely lowering the bar for Biden in these debates. Yeah, totally. It's T-ball. He's, he's put it right there on the stick. Right. Right. All Biden has to do is show up and be reasonably, uh, reasonably coherent. And he'll walk away the big winner in these debates. You mentioned the VP, Mike. Yeah, bye-bye, Amy. Elaborate on that. What do you think this means for Biden? Well, first, you know, it was interesting to
0: watch Amy kill herself and a few frags went over in Elizabeth Warren's direction by saying, Joe, you've got to go African-American. Yeah. Now, who knows what really happened? I have a feeling in the vetting they found an intern with a Post-it note stapled to his or her head and something was going on behind the scenes there. And I was sad to see Amy go Because I am for the non-controversial, suburban, effective female candidate because I don't want to change the debate of the election to something else. And for all Biden's advantages now, he's still undefined. Biden is still vulnerable. And we know that when Biden ran in the primaries in a place where there was real competition in Iowa New Hampshire, he got his clock cleaned. So, you know, there are those cracks in the wall. They're holding the best piece of real estate in American politics right now, a big lead over somebody that the country wants to fire, but they got to execute. The VP, you know, again, I'm I'm not for Kamala. I think the new interesting name is uh, the governor of New Mexico. She's very impressive. People have worked with her in policy, are huge fans. Uh, Lujan Grisham, she has been an effective governor. Latino vibe there into Arizona, a backbreaker state the Democrats are well prepared to win this time, so I think she 's kind of the interesting candidate, who, of course though is no competition to the great Gia Ramundo of Rhode Island, who I am the only person in the world other than Mr. Ramundo shamelessly plugging, but uh, uh, she is still the right yeah. policy choice
1: and we thank her for sponsoring us yes, podcast. exactly,
0: <laughs> thank you we never pay uh, a traffic ticket in Rhode Island again
1: Gibbs you know'm I'm to- I'm, uh, I-, yes. I think they 're over there trying to figure this thing out. the right. uh, Biden folks. And there is a, I had a long talk yesterday with Mitch Landrew, uh, who, who's a, a great guy, a great a politician, and very much someone who understands the politics of race. Right. And, um, you know, the big, uh, the big, and by the way, we have one of our classic, uh, uh, axe files on right now with, uh, Mitch that I did right after he took the statues down of Confederate, uh, Confederates in, in, uh, in New Orleans. So, uh, if, If you guys want a it's a good listen. Anyway, that's another sponsorship thing. Uh, But uh, but the choice, it seems, Robert, to me is between the theory that that uh, that Murphy just advanced, which is go for stability, (laughs) you know, go for solid solidity um, or the, the responding to what is a real thing you know which is the underrepresentation of african americans at all levels of our society and you know picking a very strong a- african american nominee and you could get both he may decide that uh the the best choice uh is one of these african american candidates who is the most solid of them and is the 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 best potential successor to him but um you know it it the calculation is not it's not an easy one it's not an obvious one some some people think it is i don't think it is
3: no i don't think it's obvious uh as well i think you know the the choice he has to make is 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 a candidate and a vice presidential nominee that isn't just good um on august the 1st of 2020 but is still a good pick on august the 1st 2023 i don't think we're going to get a race uh, problem solved in three years, but I know that, By the time we get to that 2023 mark, there's going to be four or five other big challenges that we're dealing with. And so I think there are a lot of things that this administration, the next administration is going to face and that that team is going to have to work through. And you've got to make a pick that isn't just good in the moment, but is good for the long term uh, of your time in office. I I think probably the smart money right now is on an African-American or a person of color. Um, I'm still in in a, a bit in the Whitmer camp uh, as somebody who I think is I, I, I'm I'm less worried about safe I'm I think just as a a, a solid um, a governing choice in, in a in an era in which you're going to need that um, but I do think the smart money right now is is almost assuredly. Uh, on a woman of color But
0: you know in the room What the pressure is It's always short termism Which is wrong But if we right. don't do this We're going to get killed tomorrow We're going to get a week of right. bad press They ought to think strategically Like Robert outlined Because you're you're married to this person You have to think about their loyalty You know, about what they give you in government, about when they stop returning your calls because they're in New Hampshire all the time, checking the actuarial tables on very old presidents. You know, you have all all this calculus, but the room dynamic is, if we don't do this, we're dead. We're dead. You know, somebody is going to be screaming about it. And the fact is, if they don't go with an African-American candidate in the meaningless short-term Washington CW press, they will get killed, but all campaigns are oversensitive to that. So it's going to be it's going to be yeah. tough.
1: Look, I mean there are, there, are, there 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 are both political and there are there are deeper reasons uh to think about that because um we are going through a what I think is a, a a unique moment in history uh and uh so I I don't you know I don't think it's an obvious thing. Um I think it is a it is and and at the end of the day uh, I think what he should do is pick the person who he thinks will be the best potential president. And wherever that takes him, I think that's where he should go.
0: Uh, I'll be the fanatic and say it, it, it is simple. It's about beating Trump. Make the hard political calculus with somebody who's good enough for government on this one because he's an extent,
1: existential threat to the country. My, I guess my argument back to you would be ultimately beating Trump probably Especially in this case, given Biden's age and the focus on the VP, beating Trump means picking the person who you in your heart can stand up and say is the best person for this job. And if wherever that leads you, uh, I think, uh, may be the best answer for him. But anyway, I will have many more weeks to talk about this. Three other th- quick things I want to get to before we get to our, uh, our mailbag. One is, uh, that, you know, Trump is firing off all of these, uh, rockets, hoping to get things going here. And he's going back to another oldie but goodie from 2016. It was prompted by a couple of Supreme Court decisions, uh, on gay rights and on the DACA program that, uh, conservatives didn't like or that certainly his base didn't like. Uh, and that is to promise that he was going to put out another list of his Supreme Court nominees, uh, it worked for him last time, Mike, didn't it, uh, putting out a bunch of very conservative names. Didn't that reassure? Oh, yeah. Look, it, it's great
0: Republican politics because, you know, conservatives and I'm one of them. We like conservative judges. So it, it it reminds people that for all the foibles of Trump's madness and the stuff that'll last like judges you know, he's delivered a lot of people that conservatives really really like. So he's throwing a log on a good fire. I don't think it'll save him because, again, he's reinforcing the vote that he doesn't have all of, but he has a lot of. And with Trump, of course, the subtext is grievance because he's mad at Roberts and others and Gorsuch, you know, for not going, taking orders uh, on, on the gay rights thing. So, and DACA. So, you know, I think the the emotional drive is is Trump resentment, but the
1: politics of it are for a Republican president are good, yeah on those two issues, we should point out he is also way out of step with public opinion, totally and a lot of republican opinion,
0: you know the Senate just rolled over totally appropriately yeah,
1: and a lot of and and particularly a lot of suburban republican right. opinion, which is why he's twenty two points behind uh in the suburbs right now, so you know everything is base, but the base may just be. Uh, not not large enough uh, for this the second thing is this weird thing that happened he did this interview <laughs> uh he did this interview with axios in which uh he uh kind of threw over Juan Guaido the opposition leader in Venezuela who he had you know championed didn't he bring him to the state of the union speech or something i he, he really championed guaido well and- yeah the administration When he won the election,
0: really put his shoulder in and the Europeans followed. That was something in Bolton's book he kind of claimed some credit for. But Trump always apparently thought this guy was weak because he was like elected and he wasn't real quick to go to the rubber bullets. And, you know, Trump even says something like, yeah, some people think it's good because he was elected. But there are two sides to that, too. You know, it's classic Trump dictator love. And now I think to punish Bolton, as you say, he's starting to wink
1: at the dictator Maduro. Right. Maduro, who's, uh, you know, here he is uh, attacking uh, socialism and 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 hugging, uh, you know, a socialist dictator in Venezuela. But the, the weird thing about it and, you know, he he rushed to correct the record after his people straightened him out uh, is that there is a a strong and growing Venezuelan community in Florida and that state's going to be close uh and his his opposition to maduro was one of the rallying points for that yep, community totally. down there uh and uh, so he had to put out a correction uh, in a uh in a tweet you know basically reversing everything he had said in that interview with axios on friday just another example of how sort of Out of sync and out of control, the whole deal is here because he fires stuff off that's completely inconsistent with the strategy of his own campaign. But Robert, do you think he has a strategy? I've never thought that
0: he does. He just follows his instincts, which are right at Republican primary voters.
3: I think there must be a a now a patch of of dirt in the Oval Office that he just draws his plays up on like <laughs> it's backyard football, I, and I got to assume that the White House switchboard was jammed with. 305 area code calls about five minutes after Axios posted that interview to walk it back. And I agree with you. I mean, I think there's, it is hard to look at what he's doing and think there's a strategy.
0: Yeah, no, I think he's like, you know, he doesn't know it, but he is actively losing Florida. And in our last call, I've got some new polling data that is about this Jacksonville convention is a complete disaster um, in a lean our county. They don't want it. We're talking about more in the last column, and that.
3: you know, you look at at some of what's gone on. Uh, you, you know, I think you've seen his number slip as the economy has cratered there, and the system, the 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 old entrenched system for unemployment benefits, which have provided a lot of of important aid for people. Who have lost jobs? You know, it's taking weeks just to get somebody on the phone in Florida to answer a question about claims because they set up a system that they didn't want to work well, and now it needs to work well. So I think there's a lot that's rowing against him in a place like Florida. You know,
0: speaking of taking weeks, acts. What do you think about all this mail-in balloting? Because this this is something we know here in California that the country is discovering about what election day could be.
1: It is really worrisome because. Uh, what seems clear to Post wrote a piece about it this morning is we're not going to have a verdict on elect- election Unlikely, night because yeah. it's very li- likely that it is very likely that mail in ballots will still be being counted and they'll they generally there generally is a lag time I think in California it's two weeks of counting after Sometimes election more. day.
0: because yeah. people hold their absentee and vote them late
1: so there's this huge yep. surge that comes in the last four or five days. This is a real problem in an environment where you've got the president already raising issues about the legitimacy of the election. You know, with Trump, and we've said it before here, there are only two verdicts. He wins or the election was stolen. There's no third option. And he's going to use the delay in ballot counting uh, as a uh, if if he if if indeed he does lose uh, as a one more cudgel to kind of push along this argument that the whole election was illegitimate. This is a real danger, Robert, for a, for a democracy. Well, there's no
3: doubt. I mean, I think a lot of these states that have mail-in and balloting, um, you know, it just has to be postmarked by election day. Uh, so by definition you're getting votes in that are late. So I think short of a landslide uh, it's going to be a long few days or could be a long few days while we sift through some of this. I will say you know it is it's fascinating to watch um, Trump on mail in ballots uh He is obsessed with how this is going to wreck him politically and i i'm I'm still mystified at this. I think Murphy is too. I've watched way too many Republican campaigns do really good things with absentee ballots. Uh, and the ability to get particularly older voters that don't need to go to the polls to, to fill out a ballot. It's also somewhat stunning to me if you start listing the number of people in the Trump administration who vote by mail, including, by the way, the president, <laughs> the first lady, the press secretary. Uh, there, There literally is Kellyanne Conway voted by mail.
1: Yet, if you read his Twitter feed... So did Mike Pence, by the way, and apparently he voted from the uh, the address he listed was the governor's mansion in Indiana, which he hasn't occupied for <laughs> yes, for no. about four years. So
3: Th- they may need some back rent payments. And
0: Parscale in two thousand six So maybe there is
1: maybe there is a fraud potential here. <laughs> I don't know.
0: The campaign manager didn't even vote Parscale in two thousand six. He couldn't <laughs> find a stamp there on the trunk of his car, lifted. Right.
3: But it's it's remarkable that this idea that you know foreign entities are going to print ballots while these guys are. Uh, are licking stamps to send theirs in. So look, I think there's the danger of he's clearly trying to undermine the results. And uh, there's no doubt that, I mean, you know, if it it may take several days to figure out the exact nature of of who's won and why. So I think people just need to start to constitutionally prepare themselves uh, for that.
1: So speaking of absentees, for those of you who, uh, we're wondering what John Bolton would have said had he been willing to testify before the impeachment committee. We now know because his uh book is out uh the rumor it happened uh and in more than four hundred pages he dishes on the president in a million different ways uh and uh the question is uh Murphy, how much credibility does Bolton have here? What is the impact uh, of what he wrote and uh or is this going to be just a a blip in the uh, in the campaign? You
0: know, probably a blip, but a pretty big one it 's another log on the fire. I mean, look, I think Bolton kind of chickened out for such a hawk, not saying he was going to vote for Biden. He just wouldn 't vote for trump but i've been skimming through the galleys and i I bought the book i don 't have it yet. It does paint another level of massive Trump incompetence, and the charges in it are pretty true. And Leiker don't like Bolton. He's a respected guy in the foreign policy world on the conservative side, and he does not have a reputation for not telling the truth. In fact, his reputation is for being too blunt uh, about his views and not having enough kind of diplomatic uh, niceties. So, you know, I think the content of the book, what, what it tells you about Trump, not so much about Bolton, is harmful. And does build the narrative that we, you know, you look under the Oval Office, you see a pair of clown shoes under the desk, and that is that's the problem for. But Trump. with
1: leather soles because they're very hard to wear <laughs> yeah. on ramps.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, so I, I think it will hurt. I think it has most of it's leaked already that he, you know, uses American foreign policy as his own scratch pad for sleazy deals in his own self interest. So yeah, I think it'll hurt. Murphy, here's my question. Meaning a life? Well, it's actually simple, right? No, go ahead.
3: <laughs> but it's, um, but I'd want to hear your answer is you have all these people who are saying, Oh my God, if, if, if he only would have said this in late last year, or if he'd have testified in front of the Senate, so much would be different in terms of impeachment. What is your view on whether either in the House side or in the Senate side had, had with what you have seen in this book, would it have changed? Any votes, let alone the outcome of impeachment? I think it would have given cover
0: for maybe a Lisa Murkowski or somebody like that, who may a Susan Collins, uh, to do the right thing, which they all knew in their hearts. But they all made a decision of let the voters knock this guy off. We won't. That was both the high principle and the political low cunning survival tactic. So, no, I don't think it would have materially changed the
1: impeachment vote, maybe one vote in the Senate. I'll tell you one thing that just... As a, from a strategist perspective, that struck me about the book was the uh, anecdote about him, about Trump sort of begging Chi for a trade agreement be, that he needed to, uh, because he was afraid that farmers would, uh, would, would hurt him in the next election and sort of asking him to conspire with him to do this in order to help Trump get reelected. And honestly, as, as much of a, Benefit to China as Trump has been, I would think she might be uh, eager to see Trump get reelected. But uh, but the the other half of it was that Trump said, I'll keep my mouth shut about you uh, sending all these Uyghurs to uh, to to concentration camps. Uh, If you just give me this trade deal and, you know, the whole image of a guy who's standing up there and his campaign is predicated on how tough he is on China, uh, pleading with a Chinese uh, strongman to 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 give him a deal to help him in his reelect. And he'll look the other way on human rights violations is is pretty appalling. And if I were the Biden campaign, I think I could make something of that.
0: Oh, totally. You know, the, the dictator love again, it's Sociopath 102 now. Okay, well, let me make the, everything's transactional. Okay, you get the death camps, I get the boost in soybean uh, exports in Iowa. Deal. You know, <laughs> though, I will say that in in uh, Kissinger's memoirs, he talks about meeting with Mao, and Mao always would say, "You know, one thing I don't trust the American left. I've always, I've always worried about them." <laughs> so <laughs> the Chinese always have an interesting view of our domestic. Domestic politics, and uh, I think that Trump- must
1: have been why you were such a big fan of Mao.
0: Yeah. Oh, I. You know, I. Uh- uh, the best Mao quote ever. My dear friend, uh, the late John McCain used to say back in 2000 on the Straight Talk Express when they, you know, dumped another huge unlimited bomb on us. He'd say, "Well, as we used to say in prison, boys, it's always darkest just before it goes totally black." In the words of the great Chairman <laughs> Mao. So yeah, he, he's a he's an interesting cat. A lot of great books about the the later years when he wasn't really running China. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors.
1: You know, Gibbs. Every once in a while, uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, "Ax, you make me nauseous." But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a
3: car, and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in, and you just you get that feeling, and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah,
1: a good one. and you, and and like you're on your way to something good—a a celebration or party or something—and now you're nauseous, and you can't get rid of it. Except there is an answer now. And it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band.
3: Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more.
1: The product is 100% drug free, non drowsy, and provides all natural relief with zero side effects. Zero for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through relief band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with relief band. It stimulates a nerve in the
3: wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great
1: gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram you. All right. Right
3: now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee.
1: So head to Relief Band, ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D com and use our promo code Hacks for twenty percent off plus free shipping.
2: It's listener mailbag.
1: Thanks to the orchestra for leading <laughs> us in, and the famous
0: Hacks on Tap choral singers, formerly the Radio yes. Free GOP singers, formerly the about every radio jingle you've ever heard in America singers from. Pams and jams down in <laughs> Dallas, the great, the great American jingle house. Now, dear listener, you Hepcats, if you have a question for our mailbag, send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't please forget to rate us on iTunes. It really helps the podcast. Okay, X, this is for you from Hepcat Matt. Given how important the economy is for an incumbent's chances at reelection, but that factors like COVID are largely out of the incumbent's control, how much will the economy really matter in this particular election?
1: Yeah, it's a real good question, Matt, because there is, I think, a recognition on the part of Americans that, uh, the downturn in the economy is very much linked to COVID-19. And it, that is reflecting the fact that the presidents ratings while they're sinking on many other things, and he gets low marks on COVID and low marks on dealing with the issue of race. Uh, He has relatively good ratings still on the economy. That said, uh, it is uh, axiomatic that if we're sitting there with 13 percent unemployment and tens of millions of people are unemployed going into the election, it has to have an impact uh, on the incumbent. The biggest thing is this was going to be his ticket to reelection. He had staked everything on a strong economy. This is why he was in such denial for six weeks over COVID-19 and the steps that were necessary to try and contain COVID-19 because he was worried that it would, uh, it would erode the advantage he had on the economy and that it would hurt the economy. So, uh, you know, uh, I hope that the economy recovers quickly. There's a lot of pain and suffering here. It was interestingly reported today that the president, uh, unlike some of his aides and, and particularly unlike some of the Republicans on the Hill, wants another round of checks to go out to the unemployed. Uh, because he wants to keep the balloon afloat between now and November. But the economy is going to play a role in this election, and I don't think there's any way around it. He's
0: in much weaker shape than he was because of COVID, and I'm sure, as you say, it's driving him
1: absolutely batshit. Uh, I am going to ask you a question, Murphy, that William offered, and that is, can you elaborate on what pollsters got wrong in 2016 and relate it to 2020? I want to put faith in the current polling for 2020, but given 2016 results, it's hard for me to do oh, so. Oh, great question, William. Thank you. It's one of my favorites. Uh, a couple of things to
0: remember about polling generically. You're not William, are you? No, no, no. Well, William is not my secret pen name. I use Mordecai Fontaine. The bottom line on this, William, is that there are all kinds of different polling error. There's sample error where you talk to the wrong people. There's questionnaire error where you design stupid questions that are misleading. Um and there's a fundamental fact that polls give you a great idea of what happened last week or 10 days ago. Sometimes they're kind of a noise meter for what's on cable TV. But in 2016, pollsters did what they've always done. They polled the popular vote because normally that is very predictive of the election, even though it's driven by, as you know, the state-by-state electoral college. So what happened is in the last 116 years, there have been two occasions, none of them in the 20th century, both in 2000 and 2016, as we know, where the popular vote winner did not mesh with the electoral college winner. I think it's only happened in five times in American history. So by polling the national vote, most polls were right that Hillary Clinton got 2.9 million more votes than Donald Trump. But for once, that, well, for twice, that didn't extrapolate to more wins in the electoral college vote. So what'll happen this year, I believe, is you will see more state by state polling. Uh, which will give you a better idea of how the Electoral College will happen. Now, the reason you don't see that normally is the news media likes really cheap polling. I think there's some ethical conflicts in media polling about the ballot race because it's one of the few instances where the media will create a story by doing a poll and then cover it. Like news, Trump up seven, uh, Trump down four. So, you know, I would say keep that boulder of salt, but pay a lot of attention to state polls that are credible. And there are various people who rate them uh, in the key five or six states that will probably decide the election and be a little wary of the national polling, particularly early polling, because the first rule polling is it can change over time. And we have a lot of campaign, most of it yet to come. So I think it'll be better this year, but careful.
1: Joe Biden is not going to win the national election. By double digits, as many of the polls suggest now or anything close to it uh, in terms of the popular vote and state polls. You know, one thing about polling is it is much more difficult now than it's been in the past. It's expensive to get a representative sample. It's hard to reach people. You usually have to use a mix of online and 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 cell phone and landline uh, polling. Uh, and so you have, you know, for example, there are four polls out in the last couple of weeks in the state of Michigan. Biden up 16, Biden up 13, and then Biden up two and Biden up one. Well, he's not up 16 in uh, one day and two or one the next. And so it is right to be cautious, uh, William. And, uh, you know, the the, the the rough best way to handle these things is to average these polls together. But it's not a perfect solution because they all could be flawed in their own ways. We may just have to vote. I think that might be <laughs> Crazy the old idea. fashioned way.
3: Good time to remind our listeners that if you're state poll obsessed, like we all are, uh, Wisconsin has a poll out from Marquette tomorrow afternoon. So.
0: First poll in a month, we'll get a good look. So. We'll be able to zero in on that. I always tell people in campaigns, and I would tell my Democratic friends now, just every day wake up and there's only one poll you need, the Murphy poll, which is you're two points behind, and go act <laughs> appropriately. Yep. You never lose <laughs> thinking like
1: that. So we talked about Gibbs, the VP. Right. uh Choice that Biden faces. Dana writes in and says, Isn't it obvious that Susan Rice is the smart VP pick? She passes the day one test with flying colors. Biden is definitely comfortable with her. The fact that the Fox News crowd and Trump will go ballistic over Rice is a good thing. The more time they spend focused on rice and Benghazi, the less time they're attacking Biden and the spectacle of the Republican party ganging up on a black woman will motivate African Amer- Americans to turn out in droves. What say you? Well, I think
3: some of those premises may be right. I'm not entirely sure that wall to wall Benghazi is what uh, the, <laughs> the Biden campaign uh, has in mind. Um, look, David, you and I both know Susan. She is, she's whip smart. She's eminently qualified, um, yeah. You, you know, you you worry. We probably worry more than anything for any of these potential VP candidates. Can they navigate uh, a a treacherous globe and a foreign policy? Um and foreign policy decisions and clearly Susan can can do all of that. Um, mm-hmm. That's also a strength of of Biden's and so it, it may not be as complimentary as you normally see. I think there'd be some concern on Susan's experience on domestic policy, but certainly she is eminently qualified. And if you uh, if you look at and believe the reporting these days, she is under serious consideration uh, and being vetted as, as much as a Kamala is or a Val Demings uh, or, or other candidates. So I, I think Susan is, is right there in the mix.
1: Just for disclaimer, you know, Susan is a friend of both of ours, and I worked with her, and everything you say is true. She is, she is brilliant. She is experienced, uh, particularly in national security. Uh, she understands the job. And the only concern, if I were in that process, would be that she's never run for anything and she's never had to face a mm-hmm. voter and she's never she's had to deal with difficult press. And the Benghazi situation speaks to that. But she's never faced the mix master that is a campaign and particularly a campaign at a national level. And that that would be something that you'd have to take into consideration. But clearly she belongs on on this list. And um, I, I suspect she'll get a good hard look. I would chime in on that. Never, ever, ever pick a non-politician
0: for a politician's job. She's a bad choice. Obviously, you're not as close to Susan <laughs> as uh, well, as yeah, Gibbs and me. I'm for
1: Bolton. <laughs> Balance the ticket. Let's take a little break and give our sponsors a say.
3: Last
0: call.
1: So I've got one for you guys. It could be read as a... Um, partially shameless self-promotion but it 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 is mostly a promotion of my buddy john stewart who has a new movie called irresistible uh on friday murphy it is a satire and the butt of the satire are smart ass old political consultants like you and me and and commentators like all three of us but it's uh, it's really I've seen the film. It's it's with Steve Carell and Chris Cooper. It's very very good. It's very funny. I highly recommend it. And I highly recommend the Ax Files that will uh, that will be posted on Thursday. My conversation with John Stewart, not just about that film, but about where we are today. And he's typically brilliant and incisive. And it's really a fun conversation. Well, watch both of them. You get a free
0: set of steak knives, too. This offer is incredible. <laughs> Go to Axelrod slash hacks to get that 25%. Look, I am equally shameless this week on plugs. My buddies, a merry band of patriotic Republican elves at Republican voters against Trump. That's org. If you're curious, we, we were watching all this last week as the ramp up to Tulsa and we wondered what the hell do they think in Jacksonville, Florida? where Trump is planning to bring the Republican convention, whether they like it or not. Now, Jacksonville is Duval County, a critical swing county in Florida, leans Republican. Dems have not carried it since Jimmy Carter, but... In the last couple of elections, it's been tight. Uh, Romney won Duval by about three and a half points and lost the state. Trump won the state, but only won Duval, which is which is very suburban in many ways, by about a point and a half. So we called up 600. Well, we had a good pollster call up 600 registered voters in Duval at the end of last week before Tulsa and say, "What do you think?" And they had a message for the president from this lean Republican county, which was, "Stay the hell away!" By a ten point margin, including a big chunk of Republicans, they don't don't want the convention there. And we even tried the old uh, question where we said, well, Governor DeSantis, your own mayor, Mayor Curry, you know, it'll bring in hotel sales and money versus COVID risk. Uh, and, and cost and hassle, and the numbers got worse. it was sixty one percent to thirty nine don 't come here, Trump, even Republicans, forty percent of them said they were very worried the convention would trigger a covid outbreak, and among everybody, uh, it was sixty percent almost two thirds. The last number, which is uh, would really worry me in Trump land, is Trump, who must win duval he doesn 't have to win it by much, but he needs to win it to carry Florida was running eight points behind Joe Biden in that county the Democrats haven't won since Jimmy Carter. So this, the Venezuelan foolishness, overall Trumpism, alienating old voters who are key in Florida, a state I've worked many times in many places, it's like the Trump campaign is trying to lose the most important state. And if he loses Florida, I don't care what happens to Wisconsin, with all due respect. Um, Florida has so many electoral votes, it
1: would break it. So.
0: Bottom and line is that Donald is not doing well.
1: And your other message is be
0: wary of polls except this one. Yes. No, no. Of course, this <laughs> poll, because it beats the hell out of Trump in Jacksonville, is completely accurate, even though it had the flaw of being one of the pollsters as a former Axelrod employee uh, in, the, in the red and blue associates uh, combo, your, your friend. I'm going to mur- murder his name. John Del Cicato. Del Cicato, man. Brilliant guy. Yeah, so he's never wrong, and this poll can't be. Bottom line is, we're at Tulsa 2.0 there. They don't want that convention, and it's going to be a political disaster for Trump.
3: Gibbs? The only plug I would make, I am reading a fascinating book. I'm slogging my way through 900-some pages of Ron Chernow's book on Grant. Um, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a wonderful book, and I would just say, um, apropos to your conversation with Mayor Landrew on on this idea of of Confederate statues and heritage, uh, you don't have to slog through nine hundred pages. R- read three of any of those pages, and you understand that the the hagiography around Confederate generals is for history past. Take all of this stuff down. Uh, these people were were trying to subvert the United States of America. They were trying to end the Union. They were fighting against the Union Army, which in popular parlance today is the United States Army. Uh, So if you need any lesson in history uh, and heritage, read a few pages of that book and uh, take all that stuff down.
1: The other thing you learn in that book is that President Grant uh, sent troops in to put down uh, the rebellion to Reconstruction. Uh, And it baffles me as to why now uh, there are people who want to take Grant statues down I just say I've always had a reform plan that
0: any locality wants to keep a Confederate general statue, if you keep it, you have to build an equal statue next to it of Erwin Rommel. (laughs) There we go. Problem solved. What else you got?
1: All right, guys, we got to run. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Gibbs. It
3: was great. Thanks for having me. That was fun.
1: We'll see you again soon. Back next week.